Welcome to episode 194 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Today I'm going to be talking to Carter Boyle, who's a consultant at 1898 and Company. He's a part of the Burns and McDonald engineering firm. He's based in Atlanta. And we're going to be talking about integrating electric vehicles into the power grid, or maybe more accurately, the impact, the effect of adopting electric transportation on a wide scale, what that's going to do to the power grid and how utilities are adapting. Because this, on the one hand, uh, and I get this, this question all the time by electrification skeptics, electric vehicle skeptics, and one of their their pat responses is, oh, yeah, but it'll overwhelm the power grid, as if the power grid's not going to change and adapt to this increasing load. Utilities sell electricity. They've known this has been coming for a long time. They've been working on it for a long time. They're they're planning and, and already, especially in the U.S., making uh, uh, enormous changes to the grid and to, their, and to their operations to accommodate electric transportation. So, with further ado, welcome to the interview, Carter. Thank you, Markham. Now, let's talk just briefly uh, a little bit about your background. Uh, what is it you do at at Burns and McDonald? Yeah, so at Burns and McDonald, I work in our consulting arm, eighteen ninety eight and Co. And at larger Burns and McDonald, we have engineers that do the design work um, that figure out how the things need to go into the field. And in 1898 and Co, we're focused on what? What do you need to be building? Um, what should you build it for? And also the why. Um, and we help justify that to businesses um, with utilities specifically, um, their regulatory bodies that they um, report to. Um, and specifically within that, uh, electrification is one of my passions with a large portion of that being figuring out how to get electric vehicles on the grid. So your company works with utilities across the United States? Yes. Okay. So you're heavily involved in the technical, basically the, the uh, adaptation that utilities are undertaking to accommodate electric vehicles. And frankly, we're electrifying everything. So it's a it's that bigger load uh, that the utilities are anticipating as we electrify everything, which includes transportation. Yep. And the numbers right now are looking like for the average utility, that load's going to go up three to four times what they're seeing today. Oh, hang on a second. Hold the, hold the phone. Because... I've interviewed economists, you know, this goes back four or five years. I mean, economists have been modeling what the, uh, how much more generation we're going to require. And the, I'd say for, you know, the US and Canada, we were talking about two to three times the amount of generation now, which is a huge amount. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you double, if you double what the, uh, well, uh, in, in the province where I live, British Columbia, we have 30, 32 dams hydro dams supplying a province, uh, you know, population of about 5 million people and a fairly, you know, fairly advanced economy. It'd be, it'd be like Seattle, like Washington, and 32 dams. We can't build another 32 dams. In fact, we're building the last dam now. And, and so, you know, doubling, uh, doubling the amount of power generation, tripling it would be an enormous, but you're saying it might even be more than that. Um, yeah. And it depends on, I, I haven't listened to your interviews with those economists. I don't know if they're talking about the energy amount or the demand amount. So 
for oh, they're, t- they're talking about uh, talking about generation okay um the generation capacity um or general yeah so the capacity yeah 3x is a good number that we're looking at today and we'll probably see the Im- actual amount of electricity that's consumed go up by what two two and a half times yep about that um less than what the peak capacity is going to go up by right yes under understood understood mm-hmm. okay so let's talk about the adoption of electric vehicles in the usa because for a long time the us was considered i mean you know it's the world's biggest market for mm-hmm. for for vehicles and it wasn't changing as fast as china was not as fast as as uh, european countries were it was considered a bit of lagger bit of a laggard and then it was like 2019 2020 came along and somebody flipped a switch yeah. and pow all of a sudden the numbers started to go up where where do you see the u.s being in terms of electrification of transportation by say 2030 what can we expect over the next you know six seven years yeah so right now about 10 percent of the ev sales in the u.s are electric um and we see that rising precipitously over the next 10 years, um, mainly because a lot of auto manufacturers aren't offering those electric vehicles today. And starting in 2024, 2025, that's when the full electric fleets are coming out. That's when the Fords are electrifying a lot of their fleets. Volkswagen plans to be 55% electric by 2030. Um, And we're looking at electric vehicle sales to be closer to 60 to 70% by 2030. Um, what that means in terms of overall adoption is you can expect it to be anywhere between 20 to 30% um, of the vehicles uh, driving around today, right? Um, something so that's the, inter- If I can interrupt. So mm-hmm. by 2030, you're expecting that 20 to 30% of the national fleet of automobiles will be electric. Yep. Okay. That's, that's, considerable market penetration in a very short time because of course the length of the average life of an automobile has gone up to about 15 years and there's been you know speculation about whether or not that will actually impede the the rate of ev adoption and there's been you know so there's lots of speculation on what that percentage would be in 2030 but you're expecting it to be 20 to 30 percent of the total national fleet in the united states what are the implications of that for the utilities and for the power grid? Yeah, so um, the power grid is a very old engineering system, right? Uh, the average age of the infrastructure out there is anywhere between 40 to 50 years, depending on what part of the country that you're looking at. So um, all of that was built based 40 years ago um, to serve the load that we saw 40 years ago. That was before we started using all of these electronics, before air conditioners started really electrifying. Um, you, you talked about not just EVs, but other items like those air conditioners, adding solar panels, things like that. Um, all of this stuff was not built to handle the amount of load that we're seeing, especially the distribution transformer, the little green box outside of your house or the little silver can on top of the pole. Um, so we're starting to see a lot of overloads of those and replacing those is going to be a monumental task, especially with the supply chain problems that we, that we're seeing today across many industries. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about the, some of the problems and I'm going to read these off. 
because uh, you had put out a paper on this. I read the paper. I took some information from there. Uh, probably 95% of my listeners will be, uh, you know, will know about as much as I do about these, about mm -hmm. these issues. So we're talking about circuit efficiency, have heavy phase in unbalance, immense coincident load. Mm -hmm. uh, then of course there's longevity, longevity of uh, grid equipment that, that'll be pro uh, compromised. Uh, outage outages may, may increase uh, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. What does that mean in layman's terms? Yeah. So um, phase imbalance um, is we have a three phase power system. Um, one phase has more energy than the other one. And when that happens, you actually start seeing more losses on the system. Um, more losses on the system means that less of the power gets to your house and it costs more for the utility to send that power to your house. Um, so there's a little bit of a rate increase that you're looking at right there, um, a driver for prices of electricity to go up. Um, the second one is, like we were talking about before, overloaded equipment. If equipment is overloaded, you have to replace it quicker, um, and this gets more expensive and rates need to go up. Finally, you look at the equipment going out earlier, and we don't really even know if it's gone out until it's out already. Um, the data analytics just aren't sophisticated enough yet and they're getting there we'll probably be there in about five years or so um but we don't know right away how many evs are out there where they are located exactly and um which equipment needs to be switched out first it's something that we're working on um, what that means is there could be unexpected outages on just a regular blue sky day um for you and you could have supposed to have been uh charging your electric vehicle overnight, along with your three other neighbors that are sharing the same transformer. And when that happens, uh, your transformer can become defective overnight. And now your, trans now your electric vehicle isn't charged, you can't go to work in the morning. So we're also seeing this trend of everybody's becoming more and more reliant on the power grid. Well, I have a, before we get, we continue this conversation, I, I have a, a question that arises out of the comments you just made about three-phase power. I'm going to tell you a little story. Mm -hmm. So I graduated high school in 1977, and I took a year but you know before I went to university, and I was working in my little town in northern Manitoba was a Manitoba hydro town. We had a, one of, a huge hydro dam that my dad worked at, and when I graduated high school, I went to work in the converter station mm -hmm. that was attached to that dam. And I worked as a laborer for a few months, and then they said, hey, this guy's not, not that dumb. Let, let's promote him and have him be an electrical technician's helper. And so they thought that they would, might make an electrician out of me. And I remember they gave me this package that I was supposed to you know, learn so I could take exams and so on. And the thing that, that I could not get over, I could not understand, no matter how many times the journeyman explained it to me, was three-phase power. And so the fact that I'm a journalist today is probably due a lot to the fact that I couldn't understand three-phase power 50 years ago or 40-some years ago. So please explain three-phase power to me in very simple terms, and maybe now I'll finally get it. Okay, absolutely. Um, three-phase power is a bit of magic that was discovered by Tesla in the 1800s. Um, everybody was trying to figure out how to transfer power more efficiently. Um, Simplest way that you can look at it is through DC power to start out understanding a positive 
and you have a negative and you have some electric load like a light bulb um, going in between there. Three phase power does a very similar thing, but it varies the waves of power in a sinusoidal manner. So it's going up and down like a wave in each phase so that there is constantly this positive and negative pull um, for, for this load to be chart to be run. Um, it works best for electric motors where you need to create a spinning motion, for instance. That's also why uh, we use three-phase power today because all of the generators are spinning and it can very easily create these up and down wave patterns. Um, and it's also a bit more efficient to transfer it through these up and down wave forward patterns than um, having just a simple positive and negative connection um, like you would see with a DC battery. Okay, the, the, what I'm taking away from this is that I probably made the right choice, you know, 40 some years ago to not, not become an electrician. Uh, okay, well, let's, let's, let's go on to planning and en engineering solutions because the, and this gets back to the comments that I, would, I was making uh, earlier is that the utilities are planning for this. And so what are some of the solutions uh, that they can implement so we're not having blowing, uh, uh, you know, blowing parts in the distribution system and so on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the first thing that they need to do is uh, to figure out how many EVs are on their system today and how many are going to be there in the next um, 30 years. Um, so we're talking about 2050 is the target for some of these studies because that transformer sizing issue I was talking about before, they're supposed to be out on in service for 40 years and you replace an old transformer today and you just replace it with the same uh, transformer that you had before, it isn't going to last 40 or 50 years. It's going to last 15 years. Um, it might even last not longer than that. We've seen some instances where it lasts five years. So the first step is figuring out what that new transformer standard is going to be. And we need to do it today because now's the time to act. Um, all these transformers are up for replacement. All of these wires and poles on the system are up for replacement. And we need to start making those changes today um, to make those changes as cheap as possible for us everyday uh, electricity users. That's one. Yep. Well, let's talk about that because uh, is the supply chain going to be able to expand rapidly enough to provide because I'm, transformers would be just one example of equipment that would be required right i mean to be other types of equipment mm -hmm. that will be needed physical equipment plus software plus who knows what else so can the supply chain expand quick enough to accommodate the demands that are going that are high today and going to be growing in the future if every utility starts today looking at ordering these new transformers or new wire sizes, there won't be much of an issue. If everybody waits until they start seeing problems on their system, then we start having issues on the supply chain where the supply chain can't keep up. So what are utilities telling you? Are, are they Do they recognize this as an issue and something that maybe it's prudent for them to spend a little money now in order to avoid that problem? There's a wide range of attitudes, and it depends on if you're an investor-owned utility versus a municipal utility. Um, many municipal utilities are look into this, um, and many are 
looking into it now, resetting their transformer sizes. On the investor-owned utility side, it's a bit more difficult because they don't get to make all of their own decisions. They have to go to a regulatory body and get that approved. And when you start looking at, hey, we want to um, change up these standards and things are going to be more expensive, some regulatory bodies are more keen to approve that than others. Um, some see it as gold plating of the system. Um, some see it as a prudent measure in avoiding future problems. So there's a wide range and with over a thousand utilities in the US, um, it, you see the full gamut of it. And I've worked with them all. Okay, so it, it, is it fair? Uh, or give me your opinion on whether that system uh, is going to be able to evolve at a quick enough pace to accommodate the kind of change that that you're anticipating. Because, okay, fine, we've got the the innovators, you know, the early adopters, so maybe they're municipal uh, utilities, and then you've got some investor-owned utilities where the, they, the management there plus the regulator are, are innovators and early adopters, and so they're out in front. So is that a large percentage or is it a small percentage? And and what about the laggards on the other end? Uh, is that a, a small or a large percentage? Yeah, so the innovators today, it's probably about a quarter of the utilities that we see. Um, and then the laggards today is probably about 50% and another 25% somewhere in the middle. Um, so we do have a lot of work to do in getting that 50% over into the middle and some of those middle over into the innovators because if that 50% of utilities today that is in doing the wait and see methodology does wait and see. Um, we're going to see more outages um, and also just equipment shortages everywhere uh, with prices peaking because everybody needs them. Everybody needs right. the same materials at the same time, as well as labor. Sorry. Right. So what, what about the uh, influence or the impact of two pieces of federal legislation. One is the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, which has money for grid upgrades and, and other kinds of infrastructure. And then we have the Infrastructure Act, which, mm -hmm. as I understand, it also has some, some money available. Is that going to make it easier for the laggards to, you know, make it up the curve? It's going to make, it, it really doesn't help them at all. So as I've looked through the IRA and the IJA acts um, that you were referring to, um, there's there's hundreds of billions of dollars going towards EV incentives. Um, so more electric vehicles going out on the grid. There's also a good amount of money going to grid modernization, but none of that is for traditional poles and wires, um, what we're talking about, what we need to serve the load to everybody. It's all going into renewables. It's going to into new technologies, which can help re reliability and resiliency in certain ways. But really, uh, it doesn't help us serve that extra load like we need to. We need money to replace the poles and wires out there right now that are old. It's plain and simple as that. Okay, so in fact, some of the federal government money, and 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 in mm -hmm. some cases like California, state money, uh, if it goes into into uh, more gen generation, so renewables generation, mm -hmm. and it goes into more uh, load in the form of electric vehicles, but it doesn't it doesn't pay for more transmission. Well, you know, it does pay for more transmission, but it doesn't pay for more poles and wires. Mm -hmm. then is that recognized as a problem by policymakers? Um, I haven't seen any policymakers talking about that issue to date. 
Wow. I have to say I'm kind of surprised uh, because it's not like this isn't being talked about, right? Yeah, um, we all know <laughs> that we need to meet the load. And uh, especially when I hear economists talking about it, we're always talking about generation or we need to change up the generation mix. We need to add nuclear into it. But the story on my end of the day when I'm working on the distribution system and doing distribution planning is there's a certain wire size outside your house that can serve so much load. And if that doesn't become bigger, um, you can't charge your electric vehicles reliably. Yeah, we had a, a heat pump installed in, in our house uh, mm -hmm. last uh, spring. And one of the things we did was uh, we need we had a 100 amp service and we wanted to get it upgraded to 200 amp service because, you know, eventually we'll have electric vehicles. And, and so we had to upgrade the, the size of the wire, the size of the supply into our house from the pole. Mm -hmm. And I and imagine that if there are enough, uh, you know, our neighbors in the neighbor, you know, who do that, then then the utility is going to have to look at the transformers and further down a sort of upstream uh, mm -hmm. of, of our neighborhood. And, and so you can kind of see that already uh, taking place. Um, I guess in, in the case of British Columbia, it's, it'd be interesting to see here because we have a crown corporation, like a government-owned corporation that yep. is the utility, and it doesn't have quite a monopoly, but it has you know like eighty or eighty-five percent of the of the generation and the and the distribution uh, here in in British Columbia, and so will the government direct the the, the utility to invest in the distribution? So because it does have a you know, programs to stimulate EV adoption. Uh, and will that or will that become a, uh, you know, a, a, a bottleneck uh, the way it looks like it's becoming a bottleneck in the in the U.S. So we've uh, we've identified that distribution is a potential bottleneck here. It's a it's a technical challenge. What can utilities do in addition to installing equipment, if anything? Um, that's the best thing to do is install equipment, um, especially for residential customers. Uh, it, with your commercial and industrial customers, on the other hand, you, utilities can set up a li liaison for them. So uh, a lot of utilities today, normally they're kind of at the mercy of whatever um, commercial and industrial customers put in. Um, but most manufacturers and uh, large uh, enterprises have put forth 20, 30, 20, 40 uh, decarbonization goals. And when 40 to 50% of uh, companies' greenhouse gases are from their transportation and vehicles, that becomes a real easy way to meet those goals. Um, so understanding how soon those might be coming and how serious they are with meeting those goals and if electric vehicles are going to be part of it, um, every utility should have a liaison to talk to people like that. Now, uh, I don't know what the split is between residential load and industrial commercial load, but I know in, in Alberta, because this is, they're having a big fight there at the moment about, about renewables and so on. And, and I do know uh, that their 87% of their electricity is consumed by big industrial commercial customers and only 13% by residential customers. So in a case like that, where you've got, you know, big like oil sands plants and refineries and other kinds of big heavy industry, does that actually make it easier to plan? It can because you get some warning, but um, I'm working with the city of Dalton in North Georgia right now. Um, and they are the carpet capital of the world. So similar situation, 85% of their load is for manufacturing. 
Um, and they're still waiting to figure out, you know, how many electric trucks are going to come out here. And now it was a surprise to see two weeks ago, there's several day haulers being tested at a few of the carpet manufacturers. And those are coming with what they're calling mega chargers, which is a megawatt charger um, to charge those overnight. Um, and they're talking about them, but they still don't know how many they need. And when they want them, uh, it, it's going to be, we want it quickly. Luckily, they're in a part of the system that can support that amount of capacity. But um, if they're not in a part of the system where they can serve that part of the capacity, it becomes, well, who pays for the upgrades here? Um, you know, we want to help you here. It's our duty to serve. Um, but there are serious system constraints right now. Yeah, there's an example in Edmonton, the capital of Alberta. Uh, I interviewed there the city of Edmonton's the fellow who looks after the, the transit system. And they were, they've already got 60 electric buses. And he said, look, our bus barn, our, our capacity to add more supply and service uh, for more buses is at its peak. Mm -hmm. And, and so it would have to be a, you know, major upgrade. Well, who's going to pay for that? The utility doesn't want to pay for it. The city doesn't want to pay for it. So they're looking at hydrogen buses because somebody else will pay for the, the supply of hydrogen to get into their, uh, into their bus barn. And those kinds of, you know, situations, uh, I think we're going to see more of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and especially when you talk about uh, electrifying buses, there's a bus manufacturer in North Carolina about three hours away from me called Bluebird. And they are looking at uh, electrifying all of the school buses that they manufacture. And just the load from getting their batteries initially charged off of the line so that they can send them out to the customers is gigantic. Um, something like 50 megawatts or something like that is what we've estimated. Could be even larger than that just because of how, how much they need to be able to charge at that part. Luckily, they're off of a transmission line and they can serve directly from there. Um, but if they're at the end of a small distribution circuit, you have to upgrade the infrastructure all the way down to that point. Interesting. I may be wrong on this, but it seems to me that Bluebird might actually be a Canadian company based out of out of Manitoba that has some American uh, assembly, uh, like American factories. So okay. say, gotcha. say hello, say hello, when you're out there, say hello to our Manitoba buddies. <laughs> we'll do. Absolutely. Assuming that it's in. I think I think that's that's true. Uh, but, I, you know, uh, OK, so. That's what they can do. Is there any software you've you've mentioned analytics is coming and you'll be you know sort of fully you'll have more robust analytics uh, so uh, data collection you need to get the data uh sensors and and what have you and then you have to crunch it using some very sophisticated software and you're thinking that that really is about five years out uh yeah so the first step is getting that advanced metering infrastructure in um being able to read those uh meters at a minute interval to be able to track the usage. Um, also dynamic tracking of the life of a transformer. Right now it's kind of wait and see with it, um, but there's a lot of possibilities out there where if we know something's underloaded for a long time, we can actually keep this out longer um, and we can start optimizing the lifetime of infrastructure that way um, is what some of those analytics are going to enable. Okay. So within that, the five years of uh, 
is it fair to say that in most jurisdictions, we're not going to see electric transportation expand enough to seriously stress the grid? And that will give utilities time to bring in these smart meters, the date, you know, and all of the, the data analytics that will help them better manage their infrastructure. Absolutely. Uh, there's going to be one-off circumstances here um, because electric vehicles often cluster around the same house. You know, Jim down the street gets an electric vehicle and you say, well, that looks really nice. Can I test drive it? And, you know, next thing you know, there's three more on the street. Um, so you do have that clustering that can become an issue. But for 98% of areas and kind of excluding California, which is kind of 10 years ahead of everybody else, uh, the majority of the U.S. Um, is not concerned for the next five years. Okay. And what about timing here and i'm thinking of time of use rates so mm -hmm. if we're talking electric vehicles the point is made over and over again that you know you can charge electric vehicles at night and mm -hmm. and uh, util some utilities will say okay look i mean we're only going to charge you three cents a kilowatt hour uh if you charge between 12 uh, 12 p.m and say five or six a.m mm -hmm. uh, that's when it's our our lightest load and uh, and so trying to shift load between over in, into periods off off peak periods is, is part of this strategy. So what it, to what extent does that help? Um, so uh, there's so many studies out there on this, and it's very unique to the area. But we've seen anywhere between a 10 percent and a 40 percent reduction in electric vehicle load based on those time of use rates. So when you're looking at just putting money into standard poles and wires um, or putting money into meters to reduce um, the peak load uh, during the evenings when you would need to replace that infrastructure, getting it to an off-peak time that uses the infrastructure more efficiently is going to do a ton. And after we do these analytics to forecast EVs and look how it affects the grid, those utilities who don't have AMI yet, who don't have those advanced meters that they can read, are almost immediately going out and talking to vendors and seeing how they can start installing today. Gotcha. Uh, what about uh, distributed energy resources as a way to to take some of you know to supply some of that generation and and storage, frankly, uh, if, that could be used by by electric vehicles to take the load off the grid. And so I'm thinking, and you see this in California a lot, you know, now you're, every time you put up a, a rooftop solar, it almost always comes with, with storage. And we're seeing, uh, instead of lithium ion batteries, we're starting to see zinc ion and some, you know, some residential and commercial batteries that are designed specifically for storage that aren't just repurposed EV batteries. So cost is coming down, efficiency is going up. Those kinds of, of developments. I know we're early in the market yet, but mm -hmm. are will those help to uh, mitigate the effect of all of that new load on the grid? If it has storage, absolutely. Um, if it's just solar and people aren't charging at night, it doesn't help much at all. And that's where I've been impressed by community solar in some areas. Um, community solar has been kind of experimental. Um, not everybody's doing it yet. And people, are on the fence about it. But when that community solar, first of all, you get the efficiencies of doing a larger installation, but you can also afford to put a bit more storage in that area where you're not just incentivized to have your solar on your house, charge your battery, 
charger EV battery and then kind of shut off the grid for a microgrid whenever you have an outage. When it's part of the community, then that wealth kind of gets shared and, and the economic business case is there. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I interviewed a fellow in San Diego who essentially is is uh, building microgrids for, uh, I think, primarily uh, business and industrial parks. So you, mm -hmm. you've got a little bigger, you know, uh, businesses with a little bigger load, maybe in some cases quite a big a bigger load. And, and they're happy to have him come in and put in the money for a microgrid, put up the rooftop solar, put in the put in the storage, and and because uh, California's power prices are so high, it actually saves them a fair amount of money. And and then of course you get the resilience and and reliability uh, issues uh, improvements that come along come along with that. Are are we going to see more of those kinds of innovations? You know, virtual power plants, that, that sort of stuff, that could take some of the load off the grid? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's going to be necessary, uh, really. Um, we can't just add more generation uh, in the traditional manner. We can't just keep building combined cycled plants. Um, it has to be part renewables. Um, it, it has to be part distributed renewables. Um, and it's also got to have storage in the mix. And I think storage is more so the answer than a lot of these other items, because if you can store solar throughout the day at a large scale for 16 hours, you can handle pretty much any peak um, from a generation perspective. And especially with the heat that we've seen this summer across North America, uh, that's going to be more necessary. So what we've talked about, uh, Carter, is any number of, you know, uh, innovations, uh, uh, adapt, let's call it, adaptations by the utilities to this increased load that's going to come from electric transportation. And it could be anything from just new equipment, like an upgrade of transformers, that sort of thing. It could be software and analytics. It could be, um, we haven't talked about demand response. Could be, uh, we'll get to that in just a second. Could be demand response, could be rooftop solar combined with storage and community solar and I'll get to my next point in after we talk about demand response. So how how big do you think demand response is going to be uh, in reducing the, the load on the grid? Um, demand response historically has not been great, um, really just because of customer participation in it. Uh, there isn't a lot of education in how it can be helpful, and it also isn't easy for customers to join and be a part of it. Now, with electric vehicles, they're making it pretty easy. Um, you just open in your app and you say what utility you're part of. It can register it with them, but they don't get to turn that off switch yet. That functionality isn't there. Um, with some of the AC systems, uh, with the smart thermostats, that's there now. But the studies I've done from the Energy Information Agency, you can see typically about 2 to 3% peak reduction overall which helps. It's also very cheap. So in terms of price per reduction, it's probably one of the best options out there. Okay. So there's a, there's another adaptation that's available to utilities and to customers. And mm -hmm. maybe we'll see it on some of the bigger customers like resident, uh, commercial and industrial. First, maybe not industrial. You know, If you're running a manufacturing plant, you can't just dial things down and dial things up. But there mm -hmm. are other in, in, uh, commercial applications where you probably could do do more of that. 
Absolutely. So, oh, okay, so we've talked about, we, we know that load is going to grow uh, because of electric transportation and other uh, and for other purposes. Uh, and we know there's all kinds of things that the utilities can do. This sounds really chaotic. And things are happening at lightning speed and some are adapting, uh, you know, 25%, 25%, 50% on the adoption curve, you think. Um, is the United States going to be able to modernize its grid and do what's necessary to avoid widespread, you know, outages and, and problems? Uh, or is it going to get caught? And then this yeah. is going to be a crisis, an economic crisis. And what, what's your take on that? Yeah, you know, um, really, utilities are pretty resistant to change, right? Um, once they start seeing it, though, you can adapt to it. Um, you know, once you start seeing those problems around 5%, 10% adoption, um, you do start seeing mobilization of large forces within these organizations. And I think... Southern Cal Edison actually did it best. You know, they focused on two things really um, over the past 10 years, and it was wildfires and electric vehicles. Um, and they kind of put all of this, all this other technology, all these other initiatives to the side and really focused on those items. So there is, there are areas where we can make choices to take money from certain parts of the grid and put it into others and really make sure that we keep the lights on. I have full faith in the utilities of North America to take care of that. I'll say one thing. I I, I know a lot of engineers and, and when uh, and when I the five years I spent in the oil and gas industry, I had to talk to engineers all day, every day, yeah. uh, which which is a very interesting experience and grist for another podcast all on its own. You know what what talking to engineers all day, every day does to you. Uh, but my here's my point. Uh, mm -hmm. engineers are very cautious and risk averse as they should be right mm -hmm. we don't we don't want them rushing into things and doing stuff in a hurry so it breaks we need them to to engineer solutions and be cautious in this that's great so and and big organizations like utilities are just they have an engineering culture that's just mm -hmm. the way it is they're cautious conservative but once a problem emerges they're damn good at engineering solutions and so it sounds like the responsiveness of the utilities in that culture is once it gets acute enough, then they go, okay, all right, that's it. We got to change. Now we're going to focus our, our resources and we're going to have our engineers. We're going to work on this. We're going to work out solutions. And the when it becomes acute enough will vary depending on where they are in the country. What kind of economy they've got, what kind of load they've got, how quickly electric transportation gets adopted, all of those kinds of things. But that would, the argument that I'm making uh, would support your argument that utilities will ultimately adapt to this, you know, really momentous change, technological change that we're seeing. And that while it may look like, may look like chaos from the outside, that we can have some confidence that on the inside, stuff's getting dealt with. Absolutely. That sums it up very well. Okay. On that note, look, Carter, this, thank you very much for this. This has been very useful. Uh, I certainly have a much better view of this whole issue of how utilities are going to adapt to increasing load. A lot of it brought by electric transportation. So thank you very much. I really appreciate this. Thank you, Markham. It was great.